We're moving on in our series and uh, coming to a close of our series on fear. This series called No Fear. And uh, just to remind you of what we've heard so far. So this was introduced several weeks back by Pastor Jeff when he introduced the idea of fear and taught us a little bit about, in general, about fear and cautioned us against living and making decisions initially based on our fears, living with those fears in such a way that they get to decide the agenda of our lives. And his reminder was that God loves us and God is with us and the power of God is available to us as we address fears that come across our way. And then we had uh, two messages that were led by Pastor Ben, at least one by Pastor Ben by himself, where he spoke on the fear of judgment and addressing that. And then we had this delightful time last Sunday where uh, Pastor Ben and his wife Katie both came and presented the message. And their primary point was that fear is calmed by the presence of God, among other things that they shared with us. Don't you love the vulnerability? And isn't there a freedom in somebody, a couple especially, coming up and saying, guess what? We're happy, we're in love, we're doing pretty well with our kids and with the Lord, but not perfect. We're not doing perfectly with them. In fact, sometimes we have... Uh, some needs, and it's pretty vulnerable to share some of those personal things like that Katie shared about uh, uh, her, what, what she needed to get through some of her fears and anxieties. But there are also people in the room who are saying, ah, oh, then there's hope for me. I can be free too. And the presence of God in calming those fears. And today, I've been asked to bring a message that deals with some practical biblical responses to fear. So a little bit of the, what do we do with these truths and these concepts, but what are some ways that we can practically find help to move through our fears or to address life when life is seeming to be consumed with fear? Now as I age, you know, we all have lists of things. If we were to write them down, we all have lists of things. They'd be different and interestingly different, but the list of things that we have feared or tend to fear. And as I'm aging, I'm finding that that list of fears that I have, and I have mine too, is being trimmed down. Jeff in that first message mentioned, I don't know if you were here for it, but if you were, you might remember this. He mentioned that one of his fears was, had to do with elevators. Do you remember that? He, He had a fear of being stuck in an elevator and sort of in a really small elevator, uh, if, it, if it stops halfway up or halfway down, and here he is stuck uh, with all these people, and he had some sort of a phobia with that, some sort of a fear with that. I, my list of fears is getting trimmed down. I'll tell you, I'm not like Jeff. I do not fear elevators. I fear stairs. Specifically, that I won't be able to get from the first one to the top one without having some sort of cardiac arrest. When I see a stack of stairs, I think, my goodness, where's the elevator? I fear the lack of elevators at my age, you know. But my list of things that I fear is being trimmed, it's being refined. I mean, certain things that used to be on it and were dominant on it have now fallen off and I can't even imagine them being on it again. Have you found that that's true for you? I used to fear my parents' death. Long into our marriage, when my parents were both alive, and specifically my dad's death, I used to wake up and a regular dream nightmare that I had was that my dad had died and I would wake up and I actually had physical tears and I was balmy 
And Brenda would say sometimes, well, what's wrong? I said, oh, I just had a dream that dad died. Oh, honey, and she would coddle me and with me and um, care for me. But I had that fear. As a matter of fact, when I looked at my phone calendar this morning, today, it had a little note in it that it has every year because I've programmed it to do that. That this is the anniversary from in, in 2001. Today is the anniversary of the day that I last saw and kissed my dad. It gave me that little note. We go on a siblings week now, my sister and brother and their spouses and Brenda and I. And what we do basically is we sit around for a week and we tell stories and laugh about our parents and remember them. We were one of those fortunate groups of children that had fantastic parents. Not perfect, but good parents. I used to fear life without them. When my brother called me in the middle of the night when we were living in Chicago and said, and I said, without even any other address, hey, what happened? Because it's two in the morning and you're calling me. That's not good. It's never good. And he said, heart attack. And I said, who? And he said, dad. And I said, did he survive? No. My question for him was, how do you live without a dad? I have no idea. But I'm not afraid of that anymore. Obviously it's happened, but that's fallen off the list. The loss of my parents and my precious mom died, what, Greg, 11 years later or 12 years later. I used to fear public speaking. No more, I respect public speaking and I still get a little bit nervous, but I don't fear it anymore. It's fallen off the list. I had, here's me being a little bit vulnerable with you, I actually had a fear of marriage, not because I was afraid of marriage itself, but I was afraid that I would not be able uh, to be faithful to one woman for decade after decade after decade. It was just a real fear I had, but that's obviously gone. Or... More recently, uh, this has fallen off my list, but I had a sort of a nagging fear of this sense of impending return of debilitating clinical depression. That's a wild monster to have to experience. And once you've had that, it's kind of, and you, you've dealt with it and faced it and, and conquered it, uh, or at least know how to manage it. There's always this fear in the back of your head. It's like it's this program running in the background that never really goes away. It's a lie, we believe. And so I had this fear, but that's gone. I don't have that fear anymore. Things have fallen off the list over the years. But there's, there's one fear that with my impending retirement, which is going to happen in about a year, and all of the changes that come with that, that's now jumped onto the list. In fact, this is a remaining fear. the chief fear among the fears. It's the fear, however silly it might sound to some, it's a real deal with me. A dominant fear of becoming insignificant or knowing how to live with significance when you feel insignificant. It's kind of a crazy, silly thing. This, this fear of being irrelevant, the fear of being pitied 
and then as an older, retired pastor, dutifully tolerated rather than actually needed. Do you get what I'm trying to say? That's a fear I have. Now, it's nonsense. I'm sure we're going to get through that, but it's jumped up on the list. There it is for real, facing me. You know, when I think about it, it's actually because we all have these lists and they're evolving and changing and there are ways to deal with the things that are there, but they keep growing and shrinking. And That fear that I have as I've pondered it, thought about it quite a lot, is actually the same old issue that I've been dealing with. It's the same old question that God's been asking me ever since I first encountered him, met him, and began to follow him. It's that question that I've shared with you several times. That's the, the uh, primary catalyst for my spiritual growth, for me moving toward a life in Christ. It's the question I hear from God, Greco, when will I, you should almost be able to answer this question, I've shared it so many times, when will I be enough for you? When will I be enough for you? I long to be all you need and all you want and all you care about. I long to see you living for an audience of one. Then the issue of irrelevance is itself irrelevant. But it's a new fear I have. My fear that my answer will be now and forevermore. When will I be enough for you? You ask me, Lord. I'm afraid my answer is going to be never. You'll never be enough for me. I'll always need amendments and slaps on the back and people to tell me how great I am even when I'm not so great. I can officially find that you're enough for me, but I'm a little bit afraid that emotionally I'll never get there. And so that's the journey the Lord and I are on together. It's my new fear. And it's one that I'm sure will be conquered, dealt with, used for good. I don't say that, please hear this. I don't say that so you'll come up to me afterward and say, oh, Art, you, we love you so much. You'll never be irrelevant. We both know that's a lie. You'll ne- <laughs> that's not the point, so please don't do that. I almost didn't share that because I was, oh, shoot, that's going to look like I'm fishing. I don't mean to bait that hook. But what is the point? Here's the point. The point is to share that folks... We all have levels of fear. And some of them are right out there. You can't miss them. Others of them are more subtle. And sometimes as we mature, things that are on the list fall off the list. But then new things jump on to the list. I mean, I mean, if you've been married without children, and then you had children, on the day that baby was born, or maybe the day you knew he or she was in your womb, a new fear jumped on the list that you had no idea existed before, right? Along with a new way to love, a new level of love. Things are always changing. That's the point. The point is there are fears in our lives and we need to know how to address them. And what I want to do is look at just a couple of reminders. Now I'm sharing from my own experience here. Here's a couple of reminders, things that I need to remember aggressively, strategically, regularly. When fear confronts me, When I begin the dance with fear, and here's the more important point. When that fear begins to seep in in such a way that it starts challenging my decision-making and being the main voice in in making decisions for me, when fear begins to dictate the agenda of life, I need to remember some things. 
And here's the first. I need to remember that there is no shame in fear. I'll state it a different way. Fear is normal. It's a normal peace engagement in the human condition. You don't move very far through life or very well through life without encountering new things. And when you encounter new things and new challenges, fear is normal. Fear in and of itself is nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, get ready to raise your eyebrows. Ready? I think Jesus himself may have experienced some version of fear. And if not fear, virtual fear. It was virtually Fear. Now, before you freak out or throw anything at me for saying what Jesus was afraid, that's not encouraging. Jesus had all the power he needed in his robe pocket. And you're telling me he was afraid? That's not encouraging. And that might not even be doctrinally uh, uh, pure. May not even be true. Don't throw anything at me. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4. And here's the angle I'm coming from. Remember, my point is there's no shame in fear. My My implied point in that point is it's a normal part of the human experience. And when you realize this is not weird, this is normal for me to feel some sense of fear when I'm facing some challenge that feels like a threat, I find a little strength in that. Hey, this is normal. I think I might face you instead of running from you. Hebrews 4 says this, We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know what that word every actually means in the Greek? It means every. (laughs) The point of that text is he has experienced what the human experience is like. And everything we have to face he can empathize with, he understands it, and the implication is some version of what it means to have a moment of fear when threat comes at you. He at least understands it. He may have, may have actually even experienced that emotion of fear, that sense of fear. Let's let's go to uh, the story of Jesus in the garden because I think if there is a time when Jesus sense something that's at least close, or closest to what we experience when we see a threat and then we feel threatened by it, we feel a little bit of fear. It was Jesus in the garden. And you have all three synoptic gospels, including this story. Now, John doesn't have the Garden of Gethsemane story where Jesus is in anguish, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And Matthew and Mark are basically the same account. They're pretty much parallel. Luke has some unique additions to it. Let me take you through that text a little bit. I don't know that I made slides um, for everything I'm going to read, so sorry, uh, Kelly, back there, but try to hang with me on this because some, sometimes these sermons have 6 o'clock a.m. Sunday morning adjustments in them that didn't make it into the slides uh, we sent, and those guys always do a great job of staying up with us. But here's Matthew, and when you read Matthew, you virtually read uh, Mark as well. There's very little difference between them. So you have the idea of Matthew 26, this is found. Uh, Jesus goes with the disciples to the place called Gethsemane, just across the ravine from uh, the city of Jerusalem. You can look upon the walls, you're in this garden. And he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. 
And he begins to be what Matthew and Mark describe as sorrowful and troubled. Doesn't say fear. Sorrowful and troubled. And he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. There's a grieving going on in me. To the point where he says, I feel a little bit at risk, so stay here and keep watch with me. Goes a little farther, falls down on his face. Doesn't just gently kneel down, he falls down. Falls down on his face to the ground and he prays. They think that maybe there was a stone. So if it's set up then the way it's set up now, it probably was different. But the Garden of Gethsemane is over here. And then there's a, like a one-lane street. And then you walk over and you have some older olive trees, which probably weren't even alive when Jesus was alive. Probably the oldest gnarly-looking olive tree they have there is maybe 1,000 years old. But, um, uh, you know, we're talking about 2,000 years ago. But if, if, if where we were is anything close to where Jesus was when this was happening. So they think that he fell down on a big stone, uh, a, a rock growth out of the ground there in the garden. They have actually taken that stone and created an altar, and then they built a church building over it. So if, if you, if you uh, are looking at where tradition says Jesus actually fell to the ground and prayed on the stone, you've got the disciples, two gardens over, but certainly you could heave a rock that far. Uh, but... Uh, then you have this stone. If it were in, we were in the chapel, it'd be like a building like this. And right about here would be a natural stone growth, probably about the size of our stage, maybe a little bit smaller. And then you have the chancel behind that. So I'd be standing here preaching the stone that may or may not have been the actual place that Jesus knelt, but tradition says it was, would be right there in our worship gathering. Then you would be seated out there. And he falls down there. And he prays this prayer. Now, Matthew and Mark both remind us he prayed the same thing three times. So I'm trying to emphasize the angst Jesus was feeling. It may be that he understands what fear is like because he came pretty close to experiencing it himself, if not. But here's this prayer. He prays this three times. Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. I've prayed that prayer every April 15th. Father, if it's possible... Let someone else pay for this cup. <laughs> Yet not as I will, but as you would have things work out. And he goes and he prays a second time. And he goes back and finds them sleeping and he challenges them. Then he goes away again a second time, prays the very same prayer, comes back and finds those who are charged to keep, keep watch with him sleeping which increases his angst, probably doesn't decrease it. Just imagine with me. He goes and he prays a third time the very same prayer. Well, of course, he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Three times he's saying, God, can we come up with another plan? Fuck. There's any way, take this from me, whatever the this was. All sorts of theories have been presented there. But Jesus was facing the cross soon. He was facing arrest. He was facing public shame. He was facing uh, his disciples, one of them denying him and all of them being scattered. And he Who knows? But there was plenty coming down the track that his faithfulness to the plan was going to require of him. And he's, my point, only point I'm trying to make is, look, 
There's no shame and fear. In fact, maybe, just maybe, 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 Jesus can identify with that fear because he experienced something like it. And when I find that Jesus has been here too, Jesus has had things confront him that caused his knees to shake and knock, yet without sin. I find strength in that when I'm afraid of something that I must deal with. I find strength in it. It's a good thing to remember. There's no shame in the fear itself. And then you have what Luke adds to even, I think, further make my point. Luke talks about Jesus going out to the Mount of Olives in Luke chapter 22. Check it out later. He reaches the place. He asks his guys to keep watch with him. Luke's account is much shorter. But then Luke adds this, and only Luke adds these details. They're just added to. I think probably happened after that third time that Jesus went and said, keep watch with me, and they were sleeping. And then he goes back and prays a third time. And then Luke says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. All three gospel accounts include that line. And then Luke says, and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus must have been feeling some sort of torment for an angel to be assigned to go and lift up his head, care for him, embrace him. Whatever the angel did to strengthen him. And it says in Luke, this is the only place This shows up too. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus apparently experienced what has been measured as a medical condition where there's such uh, eruption, such earthquake going on, such, might I say, fear or at least anguish over what's coming that physically you can actually appear to be sweating blood. It can be explained medically. I'll let the doctors do it. With the depth of what Jesus was feeling. Look, I may not even get to my second point. That's okay with me. I want to make this point. There's no shame in fear itself. To fear is to be human. To fear is to move forward because you encounter things that are challenging and things that are challenging cause you to think, "Ah, lose your breath a little bit, wobble your knees a little bit. And at that point, you either get to decide to face it or run from it, which begs another question when I make this point. What about the Bible's exhortation, fear not? Wait a minute, you're arguing that Fear is a normal part of the human experience and that maybe even Jesus experienced something like it, at least a close parallel. We know that's true, at least a close parallel. What about the Bible? It says fear not. How do you reconcile that? It's good to remember this too, when you're starting to have a little bit of shame about fear and thinking fear is automatically a point of failure. When the Bible talks about fear not, it's talking about, it normally we use the word phobos, which is from where we get our word phobia. And it always in the New Testament and in the Gospels for sure includes the sense of a fleeing. 
So the fear not challenge is a challenge to when you encounter things that cause a disruption, a disturbance in your soul. Fear. The Bible's challenge to not fear includes the sense of seeing something and then fleeing from it. That's the sense of that word. Always in the Gospels, it's talking about that. It's talking about terror that's linked to cowardice. There's no shame in fear. And the Bible does say, fear not, though. But it's talking about don't experience fear and then link to that experience of fear automatically take off. Never face it. Run from it. Go hide from it. Bury your head in the sand. In every case in the Gospels, as I say, this kind of fear is looking for an opportunity to run for something instead of dealing with the fear. And it does run. It's an unhealthy avoidance. So do not fear or fear not more specifically means do not respond to severe challenges by running away from them. Fear not. Face your fears. Don't let fear win. Fear doesn't get to make the decisions for us. That's the challenge of Scripture. That's negatively placed or or stated. Positively, you could say this and mean the same thing the New Testament means to say. Have courage. Confront and deal with threats instead of shrinking away from them. That's what fear not means. It doesn't mean never experience anything that's a little bit scary and causes you momentary fear. So if Jesus didn't experience human fear, Gethsemane sure got him pretty close to it. Either way, Hebrews 4 assures us that he can relate to our fears, and it even implies implies that he may have experienced some version of fear, not just the fear that automatically introduces an exit. He faced his fears. He never practiced fear. So listen to this. Here's the encouragement. When Christ sees us confronted with fear, here's something to remember and to find strength in. His message is not shame on you. Where's your faith? Which is where most of us sort of cave in. I'm afraid I'm not supposed to ever have fear in my life ever. There's nothing normal about this for the mature Christian. I'm not being faithful. His message is not shame on you. Where's your faith? His message is, I understand that. Now, how about you and me together? We go practice your faith in the face of this fear. That's the message of Christ. Christ's message is, this is a part of being human. This is a part of being courageous. This is normal, because this is new. This is challenging. This is This is insisting that you restructure yourself in some way. So how about you take a deep breath? I remember this. I spent my time on that rock praying. I begged God, my father, to find a different way. I had a little quaking in my soul. I needed an angel to come and attend to me. What if Jesus says, And I'm here to attend to you. Now link arms with me. This is not your moment for failure. Just because you're experiencing fear, there's no shame in fear. This is your moment for greatness.
your moment to put your foot down and say, like I said, not my will, but yours. To live into what I taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. Which is a scary thing to do. Everything else will be added to you. Now I had a whole second half of the sermon that will be for another day. (laughs) Another thing to remember that might even have been more helpful and practical. But we're not going to get there. We're going to stay here. How do you find help in fear? One way, one thing to remember that I've experienced and found strength from it is that there is no shame in fear. The Bible's exhortation, fear not, means run not. Face it. Deal with it. Call together your friends who are great strategists. Call your therapist. Call your counselor. Go to your doctor. Talk to your pastor. Talk to your sister or brother in Christ and say, come and watch with me. Stay awake with me because I'm about to face something that it feels like will destroy me and I need you. But you face it. You face it by remembering it's normal. Okay? Sorry I can't give you more today. I just got too verbose. Let's pray. Lord, are you excited about walking with us when we are tempted to fail, to fall, to flee? I know you're willing to walk with us. I know you understand the walk. I know we have a high priest who can identify with our weaknesses and our frailties and knows that we are crafted from clay and we are jars that are frail and have cracks in them. We also know that one day those cracks are going to be turned into something great and all that's broken is going to be made whole until that day. We long to find the power of your Holy Spirit to put our foot down when fear wants to make decisions for us. To hear you say, wait a minute, I remember this. There's no shame in the fear. But let's not run and avoid and experience something for which, well, maybe there should be shame. We're done with that. We pray that you would strengthen us, guide us, and carry us, not away from our fears, but into them where there's growth, learning, reconstruction, and deconstruction. In the name of Christ,